Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. All right, so we are joined here today by my good buddy, Andy Bellavia, as well as Future Source Analyst, Luke Pierce. So let's go around real quick. Andy, reintroduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be on once again. I'm the Director of Market Development for Knowles. Uh, my own involvement at Knowles is in the hearable space. I've been working hearable space since the beginning, back in Bragi, here in New Hira Days, Doppler, and so on. And, and I also advocate at the intersection of hearables and hearing health. I'm hearing impaired myself. I've gotten really used to wearing uh, ambient audio devices in my ears that are connected. So I've done a lot of time exploring, uh, you know, the ambient audio uh, ecosystem and how that can work when you have a low friction uh, device in your ears. Love it. And Luke, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thanks very much, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I've been following uh, Future Ear for for probably over a year now, um, as it's pretty relevant to 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 what I do in my industry. So uh, yeah, it's a great uh, privilege to be on here today. Um, so yeah, Future Source. Uh, we're a market research and consultancy firm based in the UK, um, specialised primarily in technology industries, uh, and our core expertise really lies in the kind of audio visual business. Um, so my role as a market analyst is to look at the headphones and the hearables markets uh, worldwide. So we're tracking key developments across devices, content, technology, uh, providing both a product level tracking detail, as well as kind of five-year market forecasting and even some uh, consumer surveys too. Well, that's awesome. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, really looking forward to this conversation. You know, when Andy's in the mix, we're going to be talking all about, you know, hearables, hearing aids, and just the future of this market. And, um, you know, Luke and the Future Source team approached me, um, said that they just put out a new report. Uh, we took a look at it, some awesome findings in there, lots of fodder for discussion. So I figured this would be a perfect, uh, perfect basis for a conversation. So brought Luke on the podcast and I figure, why don't we just kick things off, Luke, by having you go through some of the major findings from this report. Um, mm -hmm. And then from there, we'll just kind of start to parse them out and talk through, you know, some of these different trends, what we think they represent and where we think this market's ultimately going. Yeah, sure. Brilliant. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, 2020, uh, you know, it was a huge year uh, for hearables. So thinking over the last few years, it's been accelerating every year, quite extraordinary numbers, really. Um, but 2020 was was one of those which increased it uh, even more. So despite pandemic disrupting kind of many industries, uh, headphones and hearables particularly um, really kind of stood out as, as still being quite a strong uh, growth performer. So looking at the market now, uh, we're looking at around a kind of 60% year-on-year uh, -year growth from 2019 to 2020. So looking just kind of over 200 uh, million units. So continuing to really kind of uh, accelerate. Uh, I guess in, in 2020, we saw the way kind of consumers are using these devices change and 
that's why we saw kind of true wireless really continue to perform um, very well. So not only did we see it using for, for more kind of different types of entertainment, so we saw lots of people uh, continuing to stream music and music streamers, music streaming numbers are, are very high. Um, also kind of spoken word like podcasts here today uh, and audiobooks and that kind of thing. But video was also a key use case for these devices, um, but particularly communication. So uh, a lot of consumers went out and purchased a hearable for uh, working from home uh, and able to kind of do their conference calls and things with a consumer device uh, as uh, you know there were not a lot of stock of kind of office-based headsets if you like um, so lots of consumers went to a consumer option like a consumer hearable so we saw communication become an even greater part uh, of the hearable device which we have seen already kind of increasing over the last couple of years but last year really made that a uh, kind of key uh, key key important for that device um, so yeah, the report touches on, on hearables and you know breaks it out by kind of various regions in terms of where we are now. Um, we saw huge growth in Asia Pacific yet again. Uh, Asia is now expected to overtake North America last year. Um, staggering volumes and the likes of the kind of Chinese smartphone brands, but also uh, some of the kind of Chinese value brands as well. Generally, there is a much kind of uh, a big appetite for in-ear products in Asia, with China especially uh, being very much a mobile first market. And hearables are really kind of seen as an extension of that smartphone uh, smartphone user experience at the moment. So there's no doubt that's why that's increasing um, quite a lot. In terms of the kind of products we have on the market now, um, we're seeing you know quite a big polarization in terms of price segmentation. Um, so we've now got uh, brands with a strong portfolio of many different products, third or even fourth generation products uh, in different price brackets. So a good, better, best scenario with kind of the premium products offering the very best sound quality, the most innovative features, very best noise cancelling. Um, so yeah, we have seen an increase in the number of devices, both at the premium end, but also at the low end of the market as well. So quite a, quite a stretch of different products there. Um, features wise, you know, we are seeing these products become much more feature enabled. So we've seen a real growth in voice assistants like the Googles and Alexas of this world. Um, so I think now two thirds of hearables have uh, some kind of voice assistant op optimization in them. Uh, we saw a lot of improvements in microphone and connectivity capabilities, uh, but also most importantly, kind of ANC. And we've seen a lot of uh, active noise cancelling now, very much a, a core user experience of the hearable device. Um, and the way we're using ANC has, has changed. It's not it's no longer not just for, for travel and for blocking out kind of aircraft noise, uh, but also for blocking out sounds in the home when, when working from home and things like this as well. So the way consumers have used ANC has actually made it even more important and uh, many many brands have put ANC into their products now as well so over a third of true wireless now have ANC according to our numbers uh, and CES again we saw you know the majority of new true wireless launches uh, including that that active noise cancellation yeah well thank you for running through all that that's definitely a lot there and I think we're going to kind of break down much of what you said. So there at the very end, you mentioned CES. I know that both of you, um, you know, and your respective companies had a presence at CES. I know, Andy, you spoke there. Um, so let's go into maybe some of the takeaways that you two had from CES. I'll kick it over to you, Andy. The general thoughts on what you saw, I know that because this was virtual, it might not have been um, you know, the, the same kind of like avalanche of new product releases that we're used to, but I'm sure that there were still things that resonated in your mind and uh, just things that were representative of, of kind of the space right now. 
Yeah, okay, thanks. Um, yeah, it's interesting because with the virtual CES, I actually got a lot less out of it than I would in the, you know, in-person experience. But, you know, the the, the announcements and uh, the things that are moving the market have been happening around CES, not directly in CES. And you can see those reflected in all the various reports. I mean, if I look at Luke's, uh, he has the top drivers, sound quality, comfort, price, build quality, and battery life. And when you when you look at it, three of those are feature-oriented, right? Sound quality, comfort, and battery life. And I wonder, Luke, how you see that developing over time. If I look at the Qualcomm State of Play report, they say that, that consumers in Western countries want around 10 hours life. And in China, they're asking for uh, 16 or 18 already. So do you see that trend continuing? And how are people solving that conundrum between small size, comfort, great sound, and long battery life? How do you see that playing out in the next couple of years ahead? Sure, absolutely. And you know, our consumer research says similar things with kind of comfort ranked uh, as high as battery life. And you know, these kind of are core fundamentals to the user experience. And we have come a long way in the last two or three years. Yeah, we have really improved on on battery life and uh, cool quality and sound quality in these small devices. And we're you know seeing rates of innovation which are very very high. Um, but we're still not quite there yet. There's still problems with comfort sometimes. Um, there's still things that need to be uh, sorted out. I think with with comfort. Um, when we, we did a survey, we, we asked about kind of uh, in-ear ear tips and open fit designs, just kind of see where that preference was. Um, you know, ear tips were, were preferred to that open fit, um, but but still 15 to 20 percent said that they simply didn't like in-ear products. So it's still not necessarily working for everyone in terms of the comfort uh, that those products have. And, and we are seeing uh, brands experimenting with things like open ear audio or the, the Samsung uh, Galaxy Bean kind of style product, which which is kind of sits out of the year. So we're seeing brands kind of try and experiment with these different uh, kind of form factors, if you like, for uh, to improve that sensation of comfort as well. Yeah, and there kind of is a conundrum exposed there. And I'm really interested to hear how you think this will play out going forward, because you're right, there's a percentage of people who don't want a closed ear device because the occlusion effect. Now, if you're home listening to music audiophile style, you don't care so much, but if you're out and about, you're talking, you're eating, you're moving, all those occlusion sounds will, you know, can be uncomfortable. So then you go to a more open fit design, but now you have a harder time excluding the loud outside sounds around you. And you have systems like AMS, for example, just introduced their new ANC system that will work with open fit, but it tends to be more power hungry. So now you start to hurt the battery life to go for this sort of device, right? Now I'm spoiled, right? My hearing aids, okay, they don't have ANC, but they're so comfortable I forget I'm wearing them and they go all day long. And hearables in trying to approach that same idea, I want comfort, I want isolation when it's loud, and you know I want all day wear. How do you see that actually playing out? Because I see open fit, ANC, and long battery life and comfort at least today, conflicting with each other. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is it is about kind of striking that right balance at the moment. You know, it's, it's kind of a trade off at the moment between the number of kind of features that you can put in, the form factor, the small size. Um, so we are, you know, seeing different kind of experiments with that. Um, the One way is kind of technology. So as you mentioned, you know, having kind of ANC, but also kind of transparency modes and being able to hear through the device uh, by placing more and more microphones onto the device to kind of filter through that, that external noise to kind of make consumers aware of the their surroundings so could it be a case of technology you know things are improving if you listen to transparency modes of, in products today they're a lot better than they were um, kind of last year so that that element is is improving um, and in terms of kind of battery life as well we are seeing technologies such as uh, the next generation of bluetooth and bluetooth low energy as i'm sure you're both aware of uh, in terms of how the effect of that uh, technology being rolled out uh, kind of to, to all these products will help to uh, increase the efficiency of these products uh, even further to, to kind of get over that uh, battery life. But on that kind of design uh, aspect, you know, some we might see bra uh, brands experimenting more with kind of the outside of the ear, uh, or even kind of we've seen some uh, products like the audio audio enabled frames, if you like. Uh, so there's a few products on the market at the moment, um, things like kind of Bose frames and um, a couple of others as well, which aren't necessarily uh, targeting the ear as such, but more targeting the face, but directing that audio uh, into the ear, whether that's by uh, bone conduction or, or just uh, kind of directional audio as well. So I think that's a really interesting space uh, as well. And maybe we'll start to see you know, more of the body and the ear being used for these devices uh, rather than, than just in the, in the ear effect. Do you see that being successful? Because of course, when you go to the frames kind of design, then you have no opportunity to reduce the outside sounds at all. So, you know, I'm on a busy urban street, for example, am I gonna be satisfied with the frames kind of experience? Well, I'll hop in here. I think that um, this speaks to what we've talked about before, Andy, which is having multiple different devices for multiple different use cases, right? As these things become more commoditized and more multi-purposed, I do think that it's very likely that a lot of people will have a different device for different types of situations that they're in. You might have a pair of AirPods that you, you know, pair of AirPod Pros with ANC that you use when you're commuting. Uh, I'm using Bose over the ear headphones right now as I'm podcasting. And then I might have something that I'm using when I'm working out. I mean, I, I just kind of see this as being more like so ubiquitous as the demand for wearing them continues to go up because there's just so many different things that you can do with them, especially as the internet continues migrating toward our ear. I just think that it ultimately lends itself to this idea that while some people might prefer to just have one device for all their different things, I also think you're going to have a number of people that are going to prefer different, you know, different strokes for different folks, you know, different devices for different types of situations throughout the day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you're right, Andy, you know, there are there are many obstacles uh, to two frames at the moment. At the moment, uh, these products are being positioned um, as sunglasses. So, you know, not everyone uh, wears kind of glasses at the moment or has prescription lenses and getting someone to put something on their face if they don't already do it is actually very difficult. And we've seen examples of that with kind of Google Glass and, and you know, some of the failed attempts there. Uh, so putting, asking someone to put something on their face, which they don't already is difficult. So sunglasses is a way that, that we can do that. 
uh, sports sunglasses as well, as, as both have done and some others as well, is, is targeting that at a specific use case, you know, sports, running, cycling, uh, skiing are sports where you probably do need to wear some kind of uh, sunglasses and eyewear, um, but also being, uh, need to be aware of your, of your surroundings um, where you're going. And just to come back to, to your, your point, Dave, about kind of multiple products. Um, I mean, that's that's something we, we, we've looked at in our research and a question we tried to kind of ask consumers, you know, when they were purchasing a true wireless, uh, were they doing it uh, to, to replace an existing headphone they have? So is it, are they saying I've got a wired headphone, but actually I'm making the jump to, to true wireless? Uh, or do they have multiple pairs and they're looking for a specific device for a specific use case? And actually it was pretty split. So I think uh, it was about 50-50. So some were, uh, particularly one of the biggest results that came out was the number of consumers that are upgrading from their free bundled headphones they got in the box with their smartphone, jumping straight to, to true wireless. Um, but then those who kind of had a, a premium over-ear noise-canceling headphone, um, it was kind of split as to whether they thought that this device would replace it or whether they would use it uh, alongside. So some people will, some people won't, uh, is, is the kind of you know what we're getting at and, and with things like ANC in true wireless that does kind of kind of go counter counter with the kind of Bose or, or over ear premium noise cancelling uh, as well so it, it is interesting to see how that will exactly play out. Yeah, I mean, I think that looking at these numbers. Um, it's funny when I had Nick Hunt on uh, we talked about, you know, the at the time it was in the middle of the pandemic, or, or I guess we're still in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of the pandemic in 2020. Um, and, you know, he mentioned that the pandemic was a big boon for hearables growth just because it, I think, was the impetus for a lot of people to say, like you said, Luke, I've had these bundled headphones and now I'm just more or less interfacing so much more with my computer and I need for whatever given reason, I need an upgraded pair of, of headphones and hearables. Um, and I just think that like, I keep, I've been citing this number of a hundred million people walking around with, you know, these connected devices that are more or less truly wireless. Um, and I guess I need to revise that because I'm looking at the numbers right here. It's 223. Now, granted, some of those units, a, a significant portion of those units are those second pairs of devices that they've upgraded into. But I do think it's probably fair to say that we're well over 100 million uh, different users, more or less. And so I just think that this, again, uh, before we started recording, you know, we, we were talking about how, you know, I think like Andy and I, um, when, when we were first recording episodes and, and even before that, when we would talk would be this kind of notion of like, we all felt like the, the, the rise of hearables was, uh, clearly transpiring, you know, you'd go to the airport and you'd see like every other person seemed like they'd be wearing something like AirPods. And so, anecdotally, it felt like we were building toward this. And then here we are, and it's and it's here as evidenced by all this different market research that's out there that just keeps reinforcing this idea that this is probably one of the biggest, uh, I would say, stories of the last few years in tech technology, but also the behavioral change that goes along with it. I mean, for as much as people talk about AR glasses and VR and all these things, I think that they discredit just how much of a behavioral change those will really require in order for them to be adop adopted at mass. And I think that one of the big success stories of hearables is that um, largely due to the fact that you had a super 
a strong legacy use case in audio and media consumption, um, you were basically able to usher in this behavior change of people now walking around with things that look like AirPods in their ears for extended periods of time and accelerated even more so by the pandemic. So what does that mean? Well, I think now we're living in an era where it's now a foregone conclusion that like the age of these connected in the ear devices and all the different form factors that are derivatives of that are 100% here. And now we're starting to really see an, an emergence of applications, functionality being built off of this notion. I know that the thing that everybody's talking about right now is Clubhouse, right? Everybody's like, can't stop talking about this hot new social audio app. But that's not really surprising if you if you think about the fact that this was built off the back of 150 million plus people that are wearing something like AirPods. And that's not to say that you have to wear AirPods or something like them to, to enjoy this app. But I think it just speaks to, that's kind of the idea of it is that it's something that you can kind of passively be listening to. Maybe you're engaging, maybe you're hopping up on stage, but this idea of like constant media consumption and, and what I refer to as like dipping in and out of the audio internet is very much here right now. Yeah, that's really a key point. If you think about the difference between audio and video, I mean, audio is as uh, um, audio is uh, you know kind of an ambient experience. Uh, so, for example, let's say you're in a romantic restaurant with your partner, and there's music playing in the background. It adds to the experience, right? And you can have the music and your conversation at the same time. But if there's a hockey game over your partner's shoulder and you keep flipping your eyes up to look at it. You're going to ruin the whole day, right? And so the VR experience is more difficult to be going up, out and about with because you can't attend to the real world around you in the VR unless it's very, very subtly done. Normally, you're going to be constantly hopping between distractors. But you can have that ambient audio going on in your ears and still attending to the outside world. I'm getting pretty used to doing that all the time. I can have a podcast playing, you know, in the old days when I'm sitting waiting at the airport, I'd be streaming something and, you know, I'd have the balance between outside and inside set. So I could go to the gate agent, talk to them, get on the flight and all this sort of thing and never stop the podcast at all as if a background radio were playing. And so that's really the difference in why I think ambient audio consumption and ambient audio experience is taking off, whereas VR, apart from the cost of it, VR and AR you know, has a limited uses as you're out and about in daily life. Yeah, I, I think there's just something about that, that, you know, for as much as I think there was hype in the, I'll, I'll say like 2015 to 2017, which was really the incubation period for AirPods and hearables, you heard so much about AR and VR and, and like, there wasn't a whole lot of thought around, well, what happens if AR is actually really ushered in through our ears? And, and if you now think about it in retrospect, it makes so much sense because, again, it's that behavioral change. Getting people to wear glasses is such a stretch. It will probably happen in time, but it's going to take a pretty titanic shift in the behavioral change. Whereas with headphones and the in the shift from just like kind of the, the legacy headphones into these more hearable connected devices – it, it was like, well, you know, it started off as the value proposition was like, well, wouldn't you want to just kind of enjoy all that, the, all the benefits and all the use cases more seamlessly? And, and then kind of like under the radar, 
the devices were becoming computerized, right? There was just like more and more incremental things that were happening that were ultimately bringing us to this point where in many ways, I really do think that these devices are probably the first real forays into augmented reality. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Even just some of the the, te- the technology within uh, these devices, such as you know, the advent of, of spatial audio in hearables is particularly interesting. You know, it's being able to now place that sound in a kind of three D environment within the ear. So no longer is it just kind of left and right and stereo pairing, but it's being able to to place audio and sound and things like that in a, a location based three sixty uh, sphere where, wherever you may be. And that, I think that spatial audio is really important for for a number of these different applications that we talk about kind of hearables uh, being, whether that is kind of consuming kind of video entertainment and augmented reality, uh, but also just for for conversation and things like kind of chat room, clubhouse sorry um, move kind of putting people in uh, in a sphere if you like kind of sitting around a table you can kind of do that now with audio with these kind of spatial audio effects or, or in a boardroom for instance for office use cases so i think it's yeah it's the technologies in the devices are also enabling these kind of uh, new experiences and enhanced audio experiences which has been lacking uh, for quite a while yeah and i'll just add that that's a necessary precursor to vr and ar anyway because if for example you're having a or virtual conference experience in your VR glasses, the audio better be positioned at the same place as the people or it's going to get very dizzying. Yeah, I, I, I just uh, I love that you touched on spatial audio, too, because, again, like as I was trying to describe is that that's the computerization element of this. Right. It's like those are the little features that are actually going to be really, really important as this all does really start to become more of this augmented reality. I mean, Clubhouse, what strikes me so much about that is, you know, at any given point, you can be having a, what feels like a cafe conversation with any number of people. And so if you sort of follow that trajectory out and you think about like, well, what does the evolution of that look like? Who knows? Maybe it's like this with glasses, it's kind of a holographic display of all the different people that are talking. And to Andy's point, what the spatial audio will allow you to do is, it, it, it basically creates that feeling of there's somebody to my right that's speaking and therefore the audio is properly synced up that way. And there's people to the left that are synced, speaking and vice versa. So it, it's, you know, for the biggest company in the world, Apple, they have a probably a very deliberate strategy. They have a very well thought out roadmap. And so if their focus is on, you know, audio right now and making sure that they nail all the different aspects of audio in order for the next thing, which will probably be Apple glasses or some, some type of thing like that. Um, I think it's just really, really striking that much of what we're seeing right now from Apple, Samsung, a lot of these big tech Titans is the audio play. And I think that they're all focusing so much on audio right now because they know the importance of that for when you really do take it to the next level and you have that next phase of augmented reality or virtual reality. Yeah, I'd like to ask Luke a question, actually, um, with regard to the ubiquity of audio. Uh, if I look at uh, VoiceBot's uh, latest report, Brett Kinsella, he kind of outlined this three-part timeline that talks about phone streaming of audio with ordinary earphones. Uh, then people adopting true wireless hearables for the convenience of it, and thereby walking into a low-friction voice experience. And you can see some of that coming, because, for example, Spotify's uh, voice assistant 
is really, really good. How do you see that playing out, Luke? How important do you see uh, on-the-go voice assistant use? You know, how important of a use case is that, and how do you see that developing? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. And, you know, we've seen kind of voice pervade our, our homes with kind of smart speakers and that kind of thing. And now uh, we are at the next stage where, where these companies are putting voice into hearables to take that experience from the home, but out uh, in the, on, onto the move. So kind of using that that voice experience. Um, absolutely. We at FutureSource see that as, a, as the future. You know, we do see having a conversational voice assistant in your ear, a personal assistant to you, um, particularly if it's using kind of uh, sensors like GPS and having that kind of location-based proximity to give you really interesting uh, insights. But that's the thing with with hearable uh, voice assistants and hearables. It has to give you that number one result each time. It can't it can't do a typical Siri and say, "Here's what we found on the web," because that doesn't work in an, in an audio world. You need uh, the, you know the number one result, the exact kind of key information um, that you're looking for as well. So absolutely, you know, it's in these products. Uh, it is being used. We've we've kind of got some survey information as well about how much kind of consumers are using it and what for generally at the moment it's more for, for kind of voice calls and music control like hey siri call dad or, or whatever um but but yeah we do see that that evolving as the voice assistant uh evolves as well so at the moment it's very much a kind of a command and control initiative so uh, it stays kind of silent until you activate it, but it needs to get to that next level uh, where it's, you know, actually interjecting with with um, conversational and, and kind of interesting kind of points as well. So absolutely, we do see it as the future, although we do see, you know, there are some barriers at the moment in terms of kind of consumer adoption. Getting that user experience right is, is a bit tricky. And, and Dave, this kind of comes back to your point about how consumer behavior is usage is kind of changing and what's socially acceptable or not. And is going outside when you're on the walk about speaking to a voice assistant out loud is that is that socially acceptable or you know particularly in some countries in asia like in japan for instance speaking to a voice assistant out loud is is just not the done thing so we do need to kind of look at and experiment how we act with these voice assistants, uh, whether that is kind of wake word or push to talk, you know, we do have that kind of split and increasingly wake word is, is coming into these devices. But there are some other kind of interesting uh, ones on the horizon. So gesture controls, for instance, um, are, are yeah, some of the Braggy, those, uh, braggy right. gesture, gesture controls. So yeah. if, I, if I just repeat back what I think you said, you think there's two keys for widespread voice adoption in mobile. One is cultural, right? When does it become culturally acceptable to be talking to a voice assistant out loud? And the other is taking advantage of the mobile use case. Uh, what am I doing and where am I at while I'm doing it? Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that, that voice assistant has got to evolve as well as as the, the society. But uh, we do think both of those things will happen. Um, and, and we've got the foundations in place now, uh, very much so with consumers owning these devices with voice assistants. Um, so it's just it's just a case of waiting for for some of the big kind of companies to, to figure out these these challenges and how we then approach them to make this uh, much more of a future initiative. Yeah, I, uh, I think that's a great point. Um, because I think that you're right. I think that ultimately it's, you know, with voice in particular, right, given the, you know, my passion for it and, and following it along and being really immersed in that space, it's all going to be contingent on the evolution of that space too. I mean, the, these are two disparate, but also I think deeply connected areas that are really early on in their development cycles. And 
I mean, there's still a lot of major fundamental things that the voice assistant space is working out. A lot of the things that are happening in that space right now are actually extremely encouraging from, from like a true, like the fundamentals, like the plumbing, the infrastructure, you know, the NLP is getting significantly better. A lot of the things that I think are the pain points today where, you know, you, you, you speak to Siri or Alexa and you get, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that, right? Like that's going down and, and, and that's going to become necessary because all it takes is one or two bad experiences and you revert back to the, the current, you know, incumbent modality, which is usually just the mobile tap, touch and swipe interface. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of promise to this. Andy can speak to it more than anyone with walking around with, you know, these connected hearing aids that are borderline invisible. Um, I, I think that his experience is very, very representative of where things are kind of going broadly speaking. And so I do think that as that space matures, I think it's just going to become more and more, it will make more and more sense for, for the on the go use cases that will probably be spawned from that. And, and not to mention, I mean, I think that a lot of what we see today is just more or less voice user interface, which is a really important facet of it. But we've very, very barely begun to scratch the surface on the conversational assistant element, the proactivity that's the dream of it, where you really are being fed contextual type notifications and information um, that's derived from the sensors, from the information that you've shared with your assistant, the things that will actually make it a true quote unquote assistant. And so there's a lot of promise there, I think, that we're going to see as this all evolves. Um, but it is something that I think is constantly needed to be reminded of is that it's early. And, the, and because of that, expectations shouldn't be sky high right now. And I think most people are there. I think most people recognize that it's kind of not fully baked out quite yet. So I'm hopeful for what's coming in that space, but I do think that where we're at now, we're only beginning to see the, the kind of the connection between the two. Yeah, definitely agree. And, and, and I actually have another question for Luke on another area of the hearable space that seems to be now taking off very, very rapidly, and that's the hearing enhancement in hearables. I mean, we've talked about this for years, Dave, um, but then all of a sudden you have Apple adding the uh, accommodations to AirPods Pro, you have Jacody, the hearing health uh, software algorithm company, uh, inking a deal with Qualcomm, you have Nuhira, making a three-year supply agreement with Hewlett-Packard for what clearly looks like a professional communications device with both ANC and hearing assistance built into it from what I can tell today. And how do you actually see, how rapidly do you see that growing and how do you see that affecting the overall hearing health space? Oh yeah, that that's uh, that's that's a great question uh, and something that you know I know this this podcast focuses on a lot and it's an area which uh, we find extremely fascinating and are following uh, very much and and the hearables report absolutely you know looks into uh, into this this dynamic and the the ex the kind of overlap with with OTC and regulation changes and and hearing aids as well so this is something we, we're definitely looking at. Um, so yeah, conversational enhancement, as we we would call it. So uh, we do at the moment see it very much being uh, a feature of uh, an existing kind of hearable. 
Um, so some like kind of new Hera, for instance, are very much that is kind of the core USP of their Herable devices, this kind of uh, conversational enhancement feature. Um, but absolutely, you know, we've seen, like you mentioned, Qualcomm and Jacodi partnership. We'll expect to probably see, hopefully, uh, some products kind of leveraging this uh, technology, probably looking maybe hopefully this year or, or into next year. Uh, we'd expect to see some products on the market. Uh, you know, Qualcomm's SOCs are in a number of uh, products and well-known brands. Um, so whether they make use of that is, is yet to be seen, but we all know that uh, this is a particularly interesting area, one that is a unique selling point and an additional feature uh, that consumers probably uh, will want. So we actually ask consumers about uh, conversational enhancement in an earphone of the future in, the, in our research to see you know, what, what consumers really think of this. Is this just going to be something that, that might be a novelty? But absolutely, you know, 61% of the consumers that we asked, which are kind of headphone owners, um, said that conversational enhancement was appealing or, or very appealing. And actually, that was the number one out of all the potential features we asked about. We asked about kind of translation and heart rate monitors and um, sleep tracking and this kind of thing. But conversational enhancement was number one as uh, where, where consumers found, um, you know, the most kind of interest and appealness in, in that kind of product as well. So absolutely, uh, yeah, we think this, this over the next couple of years uh, will start to become uh, a feature, but also uh, maybe even more than that as well. Yeah, 60 percent is amazing. In the state of play report, it was only okay. forty, and even forty, you know, made me <laughs> step back and go, "Wow." <laughs> I mean, from my point of view, I think the prospects of really at the milder and moderate end of hearing loss getting far greater rates of adoption is huge. And we haven't even talked about third world countries because in developing nations, people neither have access to audiological services or can afford, you know, full hearing solution. So even a solution at 70% in a case like that is really a life changer. So it's all very exciting. And, and the fact that you see 60% of people in your survey wanting that as a feature in the future, I think really says a lot about where hearing health is going and how it will help change the game across all levels of hearing loss, because I would expect that people who adopt a hearable solution, walk around with something in their ears, enjoy the benefits of conversational enhancement, will find it that much easier to step up to a full hearing aid should they need it later on. No, absolutely. You know, we do see hearables with kind of conversation enhancement features as that first step into the, the hear, uh, hearing aid market for, for many. And, and this is obviously something you discuss on your podcast quite a lot. But that journey to actually getting a hearing aid is a very difficult journey at the moment as it stands. Um, and absolutely, hearables with conversational enhancement will uh, firstly help help consumers to recognize that actually they may have a problem when they didn't realize they, they had a problem that in the first place uh, with things like hearing tests, uh, improving kind of what they're actually able to hear in, in a social scenario. Um, so definitely that kind of first step into the market. Um, unlikely to cross over directly with perhaps hearing aid sales as much. You know, we still see hearing aids as, as very much kind of regulated uh, medical device. So it's, we don't necessarily see that stepping over. Um, certainly it will be a first step into that realm of hearing health. And then they may do something uh, from that after that as well. I want to read a um a line from your executive summary that I, I think speaks to this that I thought was really interesting. I want to talk about it a little bit because it piggybacks right off of what you were just saying right there, Luke. Due to strict requirements for medical certification, FutureSource does not consider the regulations as an open invitation for consumer electronic vendors 
to flood the OTC market with true wireless products offering hearing correction features. It is more likely that both new investment-backed startups and traditional hearing aid vendors will release products into this segment, utilizing new brands that both appeal to consumers and which do not diminish their existing high-end hearing healthcare business and audiologist channels. So there's a couple of things that are really, really interesting. Uh, first of all, you say in there um, that it will likely come from investment-backed startups. So Whisper.ai is something that comes to my mind there. Really interesting new product. Um, Eargo, another really interesting product. Uh, and traditional hearing aid vendors will release products into this segment. So immediately the thing that jumps out of my mind is what uh, I think it was Signia just released, right? So, I mean, this is where things I think are getting really, really interesting is that in my world, in the world of, you know, hearing healthcare and, and, and in this industry, I think that there was a misnomer um, about what the OTC market was going to comprise of. I think a lot of people just thought, oh gosh, here comes all these consumer electronic companies and not a lot of thought of like, well, what happens if it's actually the hearing aid companies? And and I think that's what we're ultimately going to see. I think that the Signia product that looks like a pair of earbuds, and you could also probably attribute the Phonak Virtu Black that look like earbuds. This is a lot of what Andy and I have been talking about, which is this blending of hearables and hearing aids and, you know, kind of this idea where it's not necessarily to say that the high end part of the market, you know, the people that have severe to profound hearing loss, that's not really who we're talking about here. We're talking about this untapped portion of the other half of the spectrum, the moderate to mild that hasn't really been tapped into yet. I think it started with these, you know, whether it be AirPods and some of the corrective features there and just exposing people to like, oh gosh, this exists. I mean, it's not surprising to me that we keep seeing this market research that keeps indicating that more and more people are open to this idea of conversational enhancement, hearing enhancement, whatever you call it, because you have more and more people that are now being exposed from these mass market products. And I think that's an extremely exciting prospect because for once we now have a potential solution to solving the problem that has plagued the hearing loss industry for so long, which is it takes so long to get people to accept and you know, the, the fact that they have this hearing loss and treat it. And the problem is we had been trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, like here, here are a pair of hearing aids and people say, I'm not ready for that. I don't want that. And so where we are now is the most exciting point in terms of treating hearing loss at scale because we have much, much more appropriate products for people. And not to mention, they're coming from the companies that built the hearing aids. So it's not as if it's some you know, consumer electronic company that doesn't have the interests of the patient in mind or anything like that. I mean, these are very much audiology oriented products that are just repurposed for that half of the spectrum. And I think that's one of the most exciting things about this whole hearable space right now is it's we're, we're the things are kind of shaping up right now. I think for us in, you know, the next few years, we've talked about it a bunch, Andy, but I think the stigma of hearing aids and treating your hearing loss is like, it is up against the ropes and it is about to be knocked out. 
I really hope so. I mean, it's, and, and I'll use my own experience. I mean, I, I fulfilled the requisite seven years before finally dealing with it, right? <laughs> and and it's a terrible mistake, actually. It, it, it really, really is. And, and you think about now, we're all much more aware of social isolation and what it is doing to us, right? Why would you want to voluntarily accept that? I mean, I remember when I first got them, I couldn't wait. I got them on a Thursday. And I said to my wife, I said, tomorrow we're going to our favorite watering hole, which is a place that has like 100 beers on tap. It's an insanely loud. And we went there on Friday night, and I didn't even realize that I was sitting back comfortably in my chair. We were talking like this. And she goes, those things must be working. You are far more relaxed than you ever were. And I'm like, I mean, tears started coming down my eyes. I mean, I would usually have to lean across the table to hear what she was saying in that environment. Why do you want to do that to yourself? And so if that stigma barrier can be broken down so that people will seamlessly roll into the hearing health solution that they need when they need it, everybody benefits. That person benefits tremendously rather than waiting out the years of slowly going down that isolation curve before they deal with it. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And that was that was great to hear your experience there, Andy, and, and you know, personal experience as well. And yeah, I mean, anything that, that happens in this space is good for everybody, right? I mean, it's we mentioned, you know, the hear some of the hearing aid vendors I think they are becoming more open to the idea. You know, we we for this re- for the report we spoke to a lot of the vendors. Some were a bit more concerned than others, but generally, hearing aid vendors should embrace this. Really, it's it's an opportunity uh, for everybody as well. So yeah, we we certainly do see that that pathway for consumers to be easier now to to hearing uh, healthcare. So kind of starting with a hearable, perhaps with kind of conversation enhancement, then maybe moving to to an OTC hearing aid device that looks quite similar to to their hearable device has similar features, a bit more emphasis on the kind of conversational enhancement and the kind of hearing health, uh, and then eventually stepping over into to a hearing aid as well, which will really kind of help uh, help their, their hearing loss. And there's one other, one other area of the hearable uh, growth that we haven't touched on yet, and that's biometrics. I mean, there's a lot of conflicting opinions on just when biometrics will become a major a feature of hearables and exactly how those biometrics will be used. What's your thinking on that, Luke? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, biometrics is something, I mean, it's not new, is it, necessarily? I mean, biometrics, heart rate sensors uh, have been able to be in uh, kind of headphones and in-ear devices um, for, for a few years now. Um, and those particular models, I mean, they weren't extraordinary, you know, just kind of small small growth. Um, but, but biometrics is certainly an interesting area. And, you know, we've got the kind of sensors and the capabilities uh, now to do that. Uh, we, there are still a few hurdles, as you mentioned, kind of battery life and fitting those features in already is is difficult. But as we mentioned, you know, we are uh, improving on battery life and, and able to put in those uh, kind of new features as well. But with biometrics, I think, again, coming back to that kind of consumer uh, viewpoint as to, to actually, you know, changing their, their behavior. At the moment, monitoring your heart rate on, on a headphone device, is it's okay, but it needs to be 
giving some accurate, uh, not just accurate insights, uh, but also some really kind of meaningful insights. It's okay, this is great to know my heart rate is 167 beats per minute when I did a run, but really uh, what it needs to tell you is monitoring that over time, telling you if there's any kind of deviations, if there's anything wrong, if using kind of other metrics to say, actually, you're quite stressed when you do this, maybe you should change this or change your diet. Um, so absolutely, we do see there's a future potential for, for biometric sensors, um, but it's a lot to do with how we use that data and the software that goes behind that, which is probably something that can only really come from, from a really big player with those kind of software capabilities, I think. Um, but absolutely, we do see it as something to, to hopefully kind of come into these products in the next few years. Yeah, and that's, I kind of want to get your feel for when you actually think all the pieces will come together so that you can have intelligent use of biometrics. Yeah, I mean, we're not too too far off. I think, you know, the capabilities wise, we're probably pretty close now. It could be, to be fair, we may even have, you know, products in development at the moment that do have some kind of sensors and that software behind them ready to be launched. And it's probably only in the hands of maybe a couple of big players and Apple are obviously one of the, the first ones to, to, to name and, and Google as well with kind of the acquisition of Fitbit do have that, uh, that, that kind of... Uh, capability so we could see these products within the next year or two it could be as early as that so it's very much in the hands of these players as to when they decide the market timing is right when they decide to need to um, but the thing is apple and apple is particularly doing very well in the in the headphones and true wireless market as it is you know they're still the market leader they're still performing very well in terms of kind of brand share um, sure they could take it up to another level um, but do they really need to right now perhaps uh, we'll see but yeah I definitely think maybe within the next two years we'll definitely start to see uh, the first kind of brands releasing these products experimenting with them managing how that relationship works with other products such as a wrist wearable um, kind of seeing how that relationship between those two products might interact with the different kind of sensors on each device as well. I think that one of the things about biometrics is that it's just like what you said, Luke, it's not enough to just say like, here's, here's the data, you know, here's like you had a heart rate that was at hundred and, you know, 75 beats per minute or whatever. Um, and that's actually something that I think is, it's finally being cracked. Um, these new generation wearable companies, whoop, aura, eight sleep, um, levels, all these different companies, they've figured it out because what it is, is it's capturing the data accurately, which is something that I think the first generation lended itself to. I think we basically got to the point to where all the different sensors were capable of, of capturing the right insights, but then you had to come up with a way to visualize that data in a meaningful way. And I think the pandemic was another really good example of what can be done in this instance and, and where things might ultimately go here. A lot of what interests me about biometrics is preventative health. And when we think about, you know, the patient demographic that wears hearing aids and, and because of the power consumption or, you know, the power capabilities of a hearing aid, um, you know, I think that might be the first real in the ear form factor that we see that has a lot of these sophisticated biometrics. And so I think that what we'll have to really see from this space um, will have to be something along those lines of capturing the information and then providing meaningful insights into whether it be uh, what Starkey's doing is really, really interesting around 
kind of the like the whole overall thrive score which is a combination of like kind of like a rudimentary fitbit data combined with the acoustic data of the hearing aid so it gives you a cognitive score which is really interesting when you think about it because it's like how much did you engage in conversation and and all these different things that we know are really important as you age for warding off things like cognitive decline and things like that so I think that much of what's going to happen in this space, it will have to be really thoughtfully done in such a way where it's not enough to just say, we're going to put uh, a PPG sensor or, you know, whatever kind of sensor into this device and then, you know, wash your hands of it. You're going to have to take it a step further into making sense of what that data means. And so I think that there are a lot of really exciting possibilities here. Um, you know, I, I, I look at like the whoop company, um, the insights that they provide are brilliant. It's like that they're very actionable things. Like if I drink, uh, you know, before I go to bed, I'm going to have a terrible sleep score and I can see that the next day. And therefore that encourages a behavioral change. The same might be done with these in the ear devices where you can see meaningful behaviors that are happening, whether they're positive or negative, that might ultimately encourage you to live a little bit differently. And, and so that's where I think this is going to have to really take shape is I think we're getting closer and closer to the point where it's feasible from a technical standpoint, but it's going to have to be compelling for the users for them to actually care about the functionality. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in terms of kind of when we look at risk-based wearables, we do see, you know, some interesting things uh, in terms of kind of life insurance policies and that kind of thing being linked to to, to wearables, you know, giving uh, an actual financial kind of discount on depending on how, how healthy you are based on. And you can change that by changing your behavior, by being more active, by being more healthy. Then kind of you obviously do get into a few kind of moral problems when we go down this route. Um, but absolutely, you know, in order linking kind of fitness and health and biometrics with some other incentive towards the change behavior um, is, is certainly, I think, the, the kind of way forward. Yeah, it's interesting. I've had a couple of conversations with a person named Frank Fitzpatrick who's exploring exactly those topics and in particular how hearable devices can gauge a person's an emotional state and use that as a lifestyle improvement or enhancement device and even potential applications for people who have emotional or behavioral issues and who are on behavioral plans, how you can actually have an interactive device that can, you know, that can help address your emotional state and, and alleviate uh, unproductive emotional states. And here he's talking uh, about not only the biometrics, but also voice analysis and so on. It's really an intriguing area and something that's probably worth discussing further at some point. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised when uh, Amazon released the Amazon Halo because I think they also have that in, in, but actually they've placed the microphones in the wrist, uh, which I found interesting. I thought you have the Echo Buds, you should have put the, the microphone in the ear where we have lots of microphones as well. So absolutely, you know, using microphones to detect those emotions and how you're sounding to people in the morning might be perhaps, you know, a bit, a bit aggressive or a bit moody and you can actually kind of change that. Um, so actually having those microphones in the ear where they already are, uh, which is, is probably the, the better way to go yeah yeah of course the second half of this podcast will be about the privacy implications of all this right which is certainly something that will have to be uh have to have to be thought through at some point when you start gauging emotional states that really strikes a nerve in a lot of people and we're definitely going to need to talk about uh data transparency when we get there 
Yeah, that's, I mean, it's going to be a, a big quagmire of, of a lot of ethical questions that will come from this. I, because what's happening is we're basically just getting, we're, we're getting more and more granular and personal data that, that can be accessed by these things. And there's so many questions about who holds what and all that. And like you said, it, it would require a full on discussion for that. And it's something that I know we've talked about before. We need to have it. I need to get somebody that's like a really good expert <laughs> to be on for this. But I do think that 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 the when you think about like the big future use cases of in the ear devices and i've always thought that two of the big ones will be biometrics and voice assistance and i actually think those two are going to be very deeply interlinked because i think that a lot of that data and a lot of the actionable insight from that data will actually be communicated to you through your voice assistant i think that it will be something where you'll have this set of data that's captured through that type of device, or maybe it's going to be an ecosystem of devices worn, your wrist, your ears, wherever. And and then the challenge is always going to be, well, what am I looking at? And, and that's where the big value I think is going to come from is whoever can crack this and come up with the things that you can take meaningful action on uh, are going to be the things that I think will resonate with people. So I think that what's exciting with technology broadly speaking right now is that wearables as a whole are really growing up. They're way beyond just these glorified pedometers into now driving meaningful change for a lot of different people. And it's only increasing. I think now people are really understanding that these new generations of wearables are not like the first generation of the Fitbit. So um, I think there's a lot to be excited for there. And, and like I said, I mean, you start to think about the different segments that you can apply this type of data to and who better than our aging population who already might be at risk for a lot of these different things. And if you can communicate like the thrive care portion of the thrive app, you know, with Starkey, I thought that was really exciting too, where it's actually allows for you as the caregiver to get access to that data and you can see, okay, my, you know, my mom or my grandmother, whoever it is that I'm caring for, I can see all their data. They're not going outside of their house. They're not engaging in any conversations throughout the day. And, and therefore it provides a little bit more clarity and insight that way too. So I just think that there's so much here that can be done. It's the onus is going to be on data visualization and data uh, output more or less coming up with ways that you can make sense of all this and in, in, in action on it. Okay. Well, this has been an awesome chat guys. Um, I know that we're coming up here on the end. So as we sort of wrap, um, you know, what, what are we thinking for the remainder of 2021? I know that this is exciting times right now. Like we said at the top, there's just that we've moved beyond the phase of will curables really cement themselves as a mainstay. And, and, and I know in the data here that, um, you know, it's projected that by 2024, about a fourth of all smartphone users will have a hearable. And so there's tons of growth potential. Um, but for this year, uh, Luke, what's on your mind as to what we might expect and, and what maybe leave us with one surprising thing that you think could happen this year? Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. So as you mentioned, you know, the, 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 it will just continue growing so much this year. You know, there's no doubt that that growth slowing. It's, it's completely uh, still in its very early phases, even though we're seeing 
uh, such big numbers. So as you mentioned, you know, almost one in four in, in 2024. And even that could be seen as, as maybe even conservative. You know, there's still so much uh, potential. But this year, I think we will. Will it be a case of incremental innovation or large scale innovation? And that's that's the kind of real, uh, real question. In terms of incremental innovation, we'll definitely see these devices um, becoming better with the things we're using them for. So we'll see lots of improvements in, in microphone quality. Um, we'll see lots of uh, development in terms of kind of device switching. So being able to switch from smartphones to laptops to other products a lot better on Android and other products as well. Spatial audio, I do think we'll see more of that in, in uh, true wireless and hearable devices as we spoke about today and kind of enhancing all those kind of use cases that we're, we're really uh, that we're really seeing. But Hopefully, for, for the end of this year, you know, we will hopefully see some the first steps into the market for some of the things we've been talking about today. And I do think that 2021 could be the year, at least by the end of the year, uh, when some of these features in these products might become uh, available. So conversation enhancement features and biometric sensors, I think we could start to see some products at the end of this year uh, incorporate uh, those, those kind of exciting things we're talking about. I'm very much in line with Luke. I feel this is going to be a transition year. You see so many things uh, happening on the hardware side so that at the end of the year, things are going to look so much different than in the beginning. I mean, we at Nolscope are working on more output with good sound quality for smaller size out of our BAs, improving the quality of the microphones. You have the SOC providers driving the chip power consumption down. You have Bluetooth 5.2 coming with its audio codec with higher streaming quality. So all of these things are going to make that triad of long life, quality sound, comfortable wear really come to fruition over the course of this year. And now having put a device like that in your ears by the end of 2021, now you're really going to see the use cases explode, like voice, for example, like mass adoption of hearing assistance, for example because the hardware issues will start to be behind us and we'll have devices that people will really want to and are capable of wearing for long periods of time. Well said, gents. Well, I think this has been an awesome conversation. Really enjoyed this. Luke, thanks so much for coming on, sharing all this awesome market research. So before we wrap up, Luke, tell us a little bit about where we can go, read more about this, where we can access the report. And just learn more about this whole stuff, you know, this whole space that Future Source is covering. Sure, yeah, no, thank, thanks very much, Dave and Andy, for, for having me on the podcast. Uh, I love talking about all these things, and you know, this is this is what I do every day. So it's uh, been great to to chat about you guys who are very informed about this market. Um, so yeah, the, the Hearables report was published uh, just just a couple of months ago. Uh, it really focuses on you know the growth of Hearables, the competitive landscape, some of the feature and price development that we've spoken about today, particularly with a focus on that conversational enhancement feature, the OTC and hearing aid, uh, as well as PSAP space. Um, so head over to to futuresource-consulting.com uh, to find out more about more of our reports, which we do in a number of different areas uh, for, for headphones and hearables. Awesome. Thank you. And Andy, where can we go to connect with you? Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn under Andrew Bellavia or on Twitter at AndyB underscore Knowles. And I look forward to connecting with people. That's awesome. Well, thank you two so much. This has been an awesome conversation. Luke, we'll definitely need to get you back on the podcast at some point, continue the conversation. So thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end, and we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co, where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years 
on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll chat with you next time.